Hosanna, a fellowship of Christians. Good morning. Wow, lots of nice chatter and fellowship going on this morning. It's wonderful. If you can, would you stand with us, please? Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We have the confident assurance that Christ in us is how we can enter fully into rest. He's the difference maker. He is our how and our why. How we find peace amidst the heartache why we can rise from the ash heap, and the reason we carry on through our weaknesses.
open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the king of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord invincible in battle. We're going to teach you this new song.
everyone. Why don't you stand for a moment, say hello to those next to you, uh, give them a smile or a hug or a handshake, whatever you want to do. And we say hello to those of you who are online. Great job, everyone. You may be seated. And we'll have our ushers take the offering this time. Go ahead. So for those of you who remember what our change for change is, that's when you have change in your pocket you want to uh, get rid of and give to someone. Our change for change offering, it's a bucket back there in the back. And for the month of July, we're going to put money together to bless families and our Lydis community for the holidays when December rolls around. So it's uh, Christmas in July, something like that. Yep, absolutely. Our next family potluck meal is on Sunday, August the 6th. How many of you have uh, attended yet uh, this year of the family potluck meal? Several of you have. A lot of fun. We have a good time. So that's going to be on August the 6th, immediately following the service. Be sure to bring a hot or cold food item to share, and the church will provide the drinks. Uh, next Sunday, July 23rd, we're going to have a healing service after the service. We're going to allow and ask if you have any physical needs, any spiritual needs, whatever it may be. We're going to ask you to stay after the service for a few moments. Elders and prayer team members will be available, and we'll be praying with you and for you for those things. There's a lot going on in our body nowadays, and uh, there's just a lot, of, a lot of prayer needs. So we would encourage you to give some thought to that. Or if you know someone who doesn't come to Hosanna, doesn't even come anywhere, but they have needs and you want to bring them with you, we would encourage you to do that. Uh, one other note here, um, Sean Woodhouse, our own very Sean, our, very, our own very, you like that, very own? is going to be singing the National Anthem at the Barnstormers today at 1 o'clock. Yeah. So if you're not doing anything this afternoon, after church, head on over there. I'm sure there are tickets available. I'm going to be going. And I'm sure that Sean would love to have know that people are there supporting him if you have the opportunity to do that. Kelly Kirkwinsel is now going to come and update us on VBA. We had a great time. How many of you participated in VBA? Raise your hand if you were part of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Here comes our very own. Thank you, Rick. What a week. Gosh, it feels like just yesterday I was standing up here telling you it was six months away. And now we're one week post. Um, and it was a tremendous week. So I want to take a few minutes to just kind of hit some highlights for you and, and uh, thank a number of people. Um, first of all, I've been doing this, uh, seven, I've been in this position, I don't know, nine years, I guess. And I've been doing VBA for about seven and um, 
I don't know, something like that. But uh, every time I heard this story was that every week of VBA, there'd be a rainbow. Because we'd have, invariably, there'd be rain and there'd be a rainbow. And true to that, every year there was a rainbow. And, um, but this year was a little bit different. I don't know if you remember the weather last Sunday. It was horrific. And it started about the time church let out. Literally, it looked like two inches of water in the parking lot. We had terrible storms. So about, I'm going to approximate, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we're sitting up in the office. The whole church lost electricity. Boom. It was like somebody just turned the lights out. We had nothing. And sometimes you expect them to flicker and come back on. They did not. And so we just sat there, and, and it was Deb, Mary, and I were up in the office. And we started, well, I guess Mary got a text at some point saying, the estimated time of restoration for power was 9 p.m. That threw us a huge curveball. So we were just starting to talk about, okay, we're probably going to have to, to cancel tonight's VBA, which has never happened, but we can't do it in the dark. And we were trying to, you know, the logistics of that is pretty complicated. So we were talking about how to do that. And Brandy Helt walked through the upstairs office door and miraculously the lights came back on. And I don't know how long they were off. It seemed like an hour. I don't know if that, it was that long. But um, they came back on and they stayed on. And we were able to have... So that was my rainbow for the week. I know it was gorgeous when I left here on Sunday night. I didn't see any rainbow. But for me, that was the light shining and literally. Um, so I was glad to have that. We had 58 kids officially registered. Yeah. Yeah, 58 kids. And those kids were from preschoolers. We had three-year-olds on up through kids that had just completed fifth grade. So we had quite the age range here. I would like to ask anybody that volunteered in any capacity, whether it was prep beforehand, during, teardown, to stand up. And I want you to look around and see how many people that is. Please stand up. Do, do not make me call out your names. Because I know there's a look at this. Look at this. That's, that's remarkable to me. Um, there were 52 volunteers that I counted. 52. And um, so um, I just kind of like to thank the groups, you know, that, that you all participated in. First of all, I'd like to thank the team that made us fantastic meals every night. We had wonderful meals here. Yep, wonderful meals. Um, I'd like to thank the youth. There were eight youth that helped this year. They were awesome. Enthusiastic, energetic, kind, amazing. Some of them were on the worship team, and then they all helped in different capacities. And I want to tell you, the adults that they worked with, I had kind of feedback on every youth that helped, and I'm looking over here because some of the youth are over here. I got the most positive feedback from every single one of you, how kind and helpful you were. So that is our future, right? So um, I'm just very grateful for them. Um, there are a lot of work sometimes, Jared. I know you know that. But uh, no, we, we had an awful lot of fun. Um, huge thank you to the VBA worship team themselves, the Superhero Six, uh, which showed up for the week, which is Justin, Nevea, Mara, Claire, Emma, and Jayaja. It's not an easy job. They worked hard learning the music, um, learning choreography. They had to deal with me every night, telling them to dig deep and find energy. Um, so they did an excellent job. Um, also like to uh, thank Sophie Slater, who was our puppeteer for the week, which was a huge job. I'm going to have her come up here soon and, and show you Supermere. Um, when I was saying that you set an example, every year I have kids come up to me and say, when can I be up there? When, when can I do that? And I guess about night two this year, I had a little, little girl come up to me and she said, how old do I have to be to be up there? And I said, well, what grade are you going into? And she said, second. 
And I said, we have a few more years to go, but I'll keep it up here for you. And then the very last night, I had two families come up to me, and they have daughters that have aged out. They just completed fifth grade, so they can't be in it. And they said, they, they don't want this to end. What can they do next year to volunteer? So I took their names. And so that's how it keeps rolling, and that, that speaks uh, well to all of you. Um, thank you to all of those who led our groups, group leaders, those who led crafts, games, lessons, and snacks. We had every single one of those every night, and you all did the work for those. Thank you to those who helped with registration, decorating, parking, all things that, again, made our week run very smoothly. To those of you who helped with multimedia, that's a huge job. And thanks to all who helped every night with all the details that made it run smoothly. Some of you showed up one or two nights and said, what can I do? And I needed help those nights. And I'd say, go over there. Can you do that? And you did so graciously. And um, that was a tremendous help. Um, I'm going to ask Sophie to come up here with Supermere. And I'm also going to ask, I see a lot of kids here from VBA, kids and youth. I'm going to ask you to come up here for a second because I need your help. So if you want to come up, come up. Can you bring Supermere to life? Like he's not exhausted from the week of VBA. Okay. Hello. Hello, Supermere. Hey. Okay, there you go. All right. So we got Mark. None of you guys want to come up. Okay, no worries. All right, Mar, we'll take you. Mar, Mars, we love having you up here. Mars, anybody else here that was part of the worship team? Claire's not coming up. She's just waving. Okay, Mars, our representative from the worship team. But so I'm going to ask Supermere and Mar if you can remember. So every every week we or every day we focused on a daily lesson. Our our theme was superheroes, um, and we were talked about what heroes need to do. So the first night was heroes are called to. Do you remember what that was? Uh, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Heroes are called to follow Jesus. We talked about what that meant. Heroes are called to. Help others. All right, so think about this. This is what we're teaching our kids, right? Here's a call to follow Jesus. You can read off my paper. Here's a call to help. Okay, there's follow Jesus. Here's a call to help others. Here's a call to work together. Here's a call to listen to God. And finally, what did we learn? Here's a call to show grace. And that's what we, that's what we talked about every single night. And... Um, Again, Supermere helped bring that to life. The worship team helped teach that to kids through song. So with them up here, I'd like to give those people a huge hand. Our guiding verse for the week was Romans 14, 19. And I have to admit, this is not a verse I was familiar with. Um, and it has gotten its way into my soul because I think that there is an abundance of truth in this. And Romans 14, 19 says, so, let's, so now let's strive for the things that bring peace and the things that build each other up. And we, we talked about this every day, and we talked about what it meant. And it well, kind of dawned on me the second day. I'm like, do the kids really understand what this means? And I'm really big on helping them to internalize what the heck it is we're teaching them and what it is we're saying. So I asked the kids, can anyone tell me what this means? And uh, Sienna Miller, Beth Shelley's granddaughter, raised her hand. And I saw her hand go up first, and I had her come up. And I cannot do justice to the explanation that she gave. But it went something like, um, we are supposed to be kind to people. And we are supposed to help people and not make things hard for them. And she went on to say in school that she learned that we all have a bucket. And we get a bucket. And we can either fill people's bucket up, or we can poke a hole in people's bucket. And she went on. She could have done an hour sermon, I think, 
Um, but it was the most beautiful explanation of how we are to do things that bring peace and build each other up. And so we talked about how to fill people's buckets, okay, and not poke holes in them by being mean or bullying, because that's not what Jesus would do, right? Jesus would, Jesus in us helps us build each other up and bring peace. And so um, I encourage all of us to take that and, and live that way as Jesus would want us to live. So that, that verse is going to stay with me forever. That, that's uh, one that was really, really powerful. Um, finally, I just want to mention um, our mission for VBA this year was House of His Creation. You've probably heard me say in the past that I'm very passionate about supporting a local mission. And I think that's important for the kids to see something that goes to our community and some tangible things that they can bring in. So we talked about House of His Creation, what it was. Um, if you don't know, House of His Creation is here in Lidditz, and it's a home for uh, pregnant women and their children. They have no support. And um, we were blessed enough on Thursday evening or closing night to have the director here, Michelle Gibbs, came with her 11-year-old son, G- JD, DJ, DJ. And uh, Michelle was able to talk to the kids about House of His Creation, and we were able to present her with the items that were collected. We collected 145 items, okay, from diapers to, yeah, hand soap to all kinds of stuff. From you and the change from change, we had $200. And we were able to present her with two $100 gift cards, and then uh, somebody else had uh, dropped in a $25 gift card. So we were able to present her at all that. And then Wendy Hughes, who counted the items every night, she counted the number of individual diapers that were collected. And so every night I would tell the kids, you know, it's this much. The final night I said to Michelle, we don't have 100 for you. We don't have 200. We don't have 300. We don't have 400. We don't have 500. We have 606 individual diapers. That's a lot of diapers, right? But that's what we collected. So we did the things that built each other up. We lived that this week. And these kids did that, and the families did that. I also like to thank all the families for your support. So with that, um, the much-awaited VBA video, the kids have seen it once. This is um, a compilation of pictures and activities from the week. It's set to the theme song, Hero Hotline. You'll see adults, kids in here, but every single one are heroes. That brings back a lot of great memories. And one final thing I'll say is that uh, on the very last night, right before we started the uh, opening assembly, three girls who do not go to church here, but three girls that have participated came up to me and they had a rolled up piece of paper and I wanted to bring it down and I forgot, but they had spent all day, their mother said, making this thank you banner. And it said Hosanna on the top. There was Bible verses. There was our Bible verse for the week. And it really choked me up because it made me realize how much all of us that participate in this are reaching kids. And... um, it was a huge thank you to uh, everybody involved here. So I would just like to echo that again. Get some much-needed rest, all of you that were involved. I know it was a, a long but fun week, and um, hopefully we'll see you back here next year. So thank you. Thank you, Kelly. So Tony and Joanne are off during the month of July, as most of you already know. So today we have the pleasure of getting to hear from Jeff and Tasha Byerly. So let's welcome them as they're coming. So good morning. 
I'm so glad to be up here with all of you guys for another message from the scriptures. Um, we have some good news to share from our scripture um, this morning. So um, we have some good news to share about our lives. Just on a personal note, we are going to be Nana and Pop Pop. How about that? So this will be our first grandbaby, which we know is going to be a boy. No names yet. <laughs> And when they have a name, they're not telling anybody until it happens, because they don't want anybody judging what they pick for a name. I can appreciate that. So anyway, so in all of that, we are making preparations. And of course, our daughter, being who she is, I love her to pieces, um, wants to hold a party at our house. Yeah, so we decided that we need to do a little bit of upgrading to our back patio before the celebration, because if you know anything about my daughter, she doesn't do anything little. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, one part of the project is to resurface the walls of the patio from an old, really not very well done brick pattern um, to a beautiful new stone-faced wall. I've wanted this done for a long time. The baby's just an excuse to actually get it done. (laughs) So, um, but anyway, the picture on the screen is from the stone supplier's um, outdoor display of the pattern and type of wall that we want to construct. Yeah, so this picture. Yeah, that we are not constructing. Somebody else is constructing just so, (laughs) let me just clarify that a little bit. (laughs) This picture helps us consider the primary metaphor for today's message. Stones fit together into a sturdy and long-lasting structure. And so to bring this message to a good conclusion, we want to encourage you to think of the church maybe in a different way than most people often think about church. This means that we need to deal with some ways that people often view church and lay them aside. Some of these things are obvious, such as some people view churches as buildings. That's simple, right? However, we shouldn't think of the church as existing on the corner of Market and Main Streets. That's a building. Others think churches are defined by their weekly gatherings. In other words, we shouldn't think about going to church for an hour on Sunday morning. That's an event. Some see churches as a collection of individual saints, as if we can live isolated lives, show up together, and then go home. That's an audience. Some people define their churches as castles that isolate them from the rest of the world, where they can withdraw behind the walls of their exclusive fortress and wage war with people out there. That's a fortress. So we're going to ask you to lay aside some of those impressions and perhaps some of your other thoughts about church for the moment and allow us to help you repackage this term a little bit from 1 Peter chapter 2. But first, we're going to need to understand a few things about the circumstances for Peter's writing. Who was his audience? What were their lives like? And ultimately, what was Peter trying to convey to them? At the outset, I think you went, there we are. At the outset of this first letter, chapter 1, verse 1, Peter indicates that he is writing to God's elect, 
exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Bithynia. And I want us to look specifically at who these people are that Peter's writing to. They are called exiles here. Now, from a biblical standpoint, there were generally three kinds of people living in the Greco-Roman world beyond the borders of Judea, the homeland, prior to the gospel. First, there are the local people of these provinces. These people grew up here worshiping false deities. For example, in Ephesus, Artemis was revealed, uh, revered as a powerful deity among the people. To live in Ephesus meant that all your commerce and marketed goods were somehow connected to the temple cult and their practices. And if you grew up in Ephesus, you would learn the pagan practices of the cult surrounding that particular deity. Basically, these people became resistant and unfamiliar with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were considered outsiders, right? Second, there were industrious and entrepreneurial Jewish merchants who lived in these cities to make a living and support the folks back home in Judea. They participated in buying and selling in these cities, but held their strict Jewish practices, which made them sort of stick out. (laughs) They lived there not to participate in the activities of the city, but rather to make a living. When enough Jews lived in a city, they would build a synagogue for their communal practices of the Jewish religion. They considered themselves as insiders to God's promises from the scriptures. And then there's a third group. They were Gentile God-fearers from that first group. People who would be attracted from that first group of local people to the second group. They would come to the synagogues to hear readings and interpretations from the Jewish scriptures, but could only participate in the things that they were allowed to participate in. So as a result, the Jews kept strict boundaries between themselves and all the others in those two groups. So who is Peter writing to? Well, Peter doesn't seem to be writing to that first group of Gentiles who didn't know God, nor did it seem that he was writing to Jewish people beyond the homeland. Those letters would look much different. He is most likely writing to that third group, recent converts to Jesus. Remember, he was writing to God's elect who are now scattered as exiles across the provinces listed here in this opening of the letter. It had to be hard for them. They left their traditional roots within their culture, everything that was familiar, to follow Jesus. Look at the picture of that dandelion. We we all love those, right? (laughs) We do as kids, not as adults when we have yards. But I want you to think about those seeds blowing in the wind. We have no idea where they will land because they're totally dependent upon the power and direction of the wind. So it is with these people as they are scattered, having been relocated by forces beyond their control. So imagine your life was totally turned upside down. Let's consider more closely their situation and circumstances. So the early church is forming out of a Jewish origin, but is now spreading into places beyond 
Judaism, especially to people displaced um, and scattered throughout the world. Peter is writing to people who are scattered in separate geographic locations. They're not only scattered, but they've been scattered even further. What does that look like? It looks like chaos. There's no way to figure out where all of these people are. Persecution has scattered them, much like slamming your fist on a table and watching things fly in every direction. Everything gets displaced. Eugene Peterson refers to them as exiles scattered to the four winds in the message. Scott McKnight, in his commentary on 1 Peter, says, the audience of uh, 1 Peter is a group of socially marginalized people who were resident aliens and temporary residents prior to and independent of their conversion to Christianity. They were disenfranchised workers laboring in the cracks of a network that largely excluded them but they had found the meaning of their existence in the Christian family. He goes on to say, the homelessness of these people led them to a new home, the church, the family of God in which they found social acceptance and protection. These social nobodies found that God in his grace had chosen them as members of his great family, a spiritual house and that God's true family transcends and neglects the social boundaries that society constructs. The church needs to demonstrate itself to be the family where all can be accepted. In other words, they are socially marginalized people pushed to the edges of society as temporary residents because of their conversion to Jesus. This is the setting that Christians of the Christians that Peter writes to no organized settings, no church buildings, people pushed out of their normal lives, clinging to any hope they can find. Did you catch that? Clinging to any hope they can find. Consider what it may have looked like to be standing on the outside looking in. Now think about being invited to join in. Now consider how you might feel. You might wonder if you're really accepted. What explanation would help you realize that you are now actually part of God's plan? So let's look at one more thing where Peter helps them to find acceptance within these dire situations. Peter also calls them God's elect, right? That was a strictly Jewish term. Remember those three groups? The third group, God-fearers, could not be considered part as part of the Jewish elect. The Jews considered those people as outsiders unless they fully converted. These God-fearers uh, were never allowed on the inside to know sort of the secret handshake, if you will. And so that's why Paul's letters often deal forcefully with the issue of circumcision. The Jews rejected outsiders and they wouldn't even eat with them. Yet Peter is saying that the scattered fellowship of Jesus' followers called churches use different measures to invite and evaluate people. So he uses this Jewish term of election. To be included with the elect meant that they were no longer outsiders anymore. And so Peter is communicating right from the outset of his letter that you are in. 
You scattered refugees are in. You belong. And although these people had little to no social status among the Jews and even their host culture, they did have status with God. They are now members of God's elect. So let me pause right there. Have you ever felt like an outsider to a group? Peter says, when it comes to the church, every believer becomes an insider. In other words, you belong too. So it's quite apparent to those receiving this letter that Peter was offering them immense hope in their desperate situations. So here are these scattered people finding their way into a new home. That new home is the church where they would find social acceptance and protection. I want you to consider that definition of a church. I'll read it again. They are scattered people finding their way into a new home, the church, where they can find social acceptance and protection. This concept is being, uh, of being brought near from a faraway place into a community of belonging should shape our perspective about how to define the church as we read this letter. And quite frankly, when we read any New Testament letter, So we have these displaced people who never seem to catch a break, all of a sudden included as God's elect people. The bottom line is that Peter's writing to people who have now found a safe new place to belong within the family of God. This is how and why the church grew so rapidly in the first three centuries of of his existence. Peter's letter is an open invitation to us to understand our specific calling, and full participation in the gospel. With that in mind, we're ready to read our passage in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a temple of the Spirit to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be shaken. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How many of you remember ever have reading that, that passage of scripture before? Probably many of us, yeah. How many of you heard something new in today's reading because you were thinking like a first century displaced Christian? Did you notice there were a lot of quotations within the reading? There were um, two quotes from Isaiah and one from Psalms, which are all from Old Testament. 
There are also some implied references back to Exodus and even Hosea, again, from the Old Testament. So we're going to look at one of those a little later. So remember, Peter is writing to people displaced in their lives who are wondering how they might belong to this movement originating among the Jews. Peter ultimately wants them to find their identity in Christ. So he tells them how everything flows from that identity. Peter draws an image from first century stonemason construction, describing Jesus as the miscast stone for misfit people. As a good stonemason eyes up and hews the best stone to start his project, he, he sorts through various possible candidates. He knows that if he starts with a faulty stone, the building can quickly become misaligned, find its walls, lopsided, lose its integrity, and become subject to collapse. To the expert, it might be troublesome that God's new temple would begin with a stone that the average stonemason overlooked. Not only was this stone overlooked, but it was also rejected. It was seen as ill-fitted for such a task as the foundation of God's temple. And so Peter declares that this rejected stone by the religious leaders, architects, was and has become precious to us. It is this stone that also helps to reveal our own identity, an ill-fitted, miscast stone, but precious. And as this new temple is constructed, we find that new living stones of misfits and rejects are fused into this building project. These scattered refugees are included into this new temple for God's glory. And no wonder the whole building is constructed from a rejected cornerstone. And since we have been included in the construction of this temple, we are fit together. Can you see the connection of how our identity flows from this identity of Jesus? The picture Peter reveals is not about a place or a well-defended doctrinal position. It's not attached to geography or theology. Instead, we are included into the beautiful gospel community called the church. Life in the church becomes an adventure to be lived and a journey among a community of people to navigate the road and overcome the obstacles that we find along the way. And here we hold conversations, and sometimes we look back and count our blessings as well. It's a community thing. Churches are spaces where people navigate life together. And the ones who trust in him will never be shaken. It's interesting to find the um, verb form of the term scandalon, which is a Greek word, um, in, that, in that passage. The concept of scandalon originates from a trap that has a latch that gets sprung when an unexpecting victim trips its trigger. Um, it's a surprise. Um, think about a mouse trap, a bear trap, or a snare for any animal. We catch chipmunks at my house <laughs> and drive them far away. Um, yeah, but P think, of, think of that. It's a surprise. Peter actually draws this, this image from Isaiah 8, um, verse 14. Yahweh will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. 
He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble, they will fall and be broken, they will be snared and captured. Taken with Peter's usage of this passage, this cornerstone has the potential to become a stone that causes them to fall and be broken, snared, or captured in a trap. They will ultimately stumble to their ruin, sort of like a pedestrian who trips over the curb in Los Angeles, completely embarrassing his family. Yeah, that was me. Okay. I tripped over the curb and fell near Hollywood and Vine. I blacked out on the way down, actually, but woke up before I hit the ground. How about that? So I scraped my hands, but wasn't hurt otherwise. My family laughed, though. That was sort of funny to them. There was this nice little Spanish lady who came running to assist me. Oh, poppy, poppy, poppy. Yeah. She came. Yeah. But he's fine. He's, he's all right. That was all right. Um, anyway, but this cornerstone can be a stone of stumbling, or it can be a place of refuge. In other words, Jesus is our sanctuary. We're kept safe in him. We're given rest in his presence. Whatever may be happening in our world, when we trust in him, when we lean upon him, we find security and confidence in our lives. He is trustworthy and a precious cornerstone. So if you are following along with our reading this morning, you may have noticed that we use the alternative translation from footnote A within the text of verse 5. That sounds a lot very technical, but it was just a simple change. We we read that this new building is a temple of the spirit instead of a spiritual house. In other words, we are the spirit's habitation. Remember, we are not talking about a literal physical building here. We're talking about the church as God's people filled with the spirit. Most of us know that our bodies are the temple of the spirit, that Jesus lives in us and guides us in connection with the spirit, who makes his home within our lives. We also know that where two or three are gathered together in his name, Jesus says that he is there in our midst. It's because I bring my temple of the Spirit, and you bring your temple of the Spirit, and there is Jesus in the midst through the presence of the Holy Spirit. But what happens when we live together as God's people in larger numbers? Imagine that the church, not the building, not the event, not the fortress, but the people live out their callings together before the world. Sort of what, like what happened here this past week, isn't it? This is God's blueprint for his new temple with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And by the time of Peter's writing, the Jerusalem temple had been destroyed its function as a temple had been halted. Now, temples were meant to be places where heaven and earth intersect. And for the Jew, the Jerusalem temple was the location of the Holy of Holies, secured within the most remote location of the temple grounds. Boundary after boundary of exclusion separated people from God. First, there was the court of the Gentiles, but then the Gentiles would arrive at a boundary that did not permit them to proceed any closer. 
Then there was a boundary to separate women from moving any closer toward God's holy place. Then another boundary that only allowed priests, and that's a key term here in this passage, those priests couldn't proceed, or those, only the priests could proceed any closer. Then there was the Holy of Holies. In the Jerusalem temple, God's habitation was isolated from the people. Everyone was kept at some appropriate distance from him. However, on the day of Jesus' resurrection, the temple veil was torn. The temple veil that separated the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. And the Holy of Holies would forever be exposed. And God made his escape from this temple prison, if you will. And God's presence through the Spirit would now reside in the very lives of his people from the day of Pentecost on. And as we find relationship within this community of misfit, rejected people focused on Jesus, we become a place for God's habitation. God living among us. And this is why Peter speaks of a figurative temple and a fellowship of priests consisting of us all offering spiritual sacrifices before God. So remember all those Old Testament quotations in Isaiah and Psalms? Remember that I mentioned that there were some other references as well. Um, It's because Peter was tearing down and reconstructing their view about the ancient images of temples and priests. So I'd like to explore another association that Peter's making in our text. We find it in verse 9. Peter draws from a description of God's people within the book of Exodus. So let's join the Israelites in Exodus 19. This is a time and space between Israel's release from slavery to the Egyptians and escaping across the Red Sea and their arrival to the promised land of Canaan. We find that Moses and the people at a base camp at the foot of Mount Sinai And the people of Israel are in an ambiguous time and space in between what was and what the future held. They are in between living under its cruel hand and influence of idol-worshiping Egyptians and becoming Yahweh's representative people again. Yahweh is about to give them the Ten Commandments, the laws that were designed to help them live as God's representative people before the world. God's providing them with a vision for life that will attempt to remove the former ways of the Egyptians from their lives. So he's about to present them with the Ten Commandments in the next chapter. But prior to that, we find that these Israelites at the base of a trembling mountain in Exodus 19, 3 through 6. Then Moses went up to God, and Yahweh called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Doesn't that sound familiar? These images now become the vision for these scattered refugee people from among the Gentiles. Not only are they included, but they are living stones 
within the temple, and they are the habitation of the Holy Spirit taking on the role of being a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession. So just look around you. I know what you're thinking. These people around me are sort of peculiar, right? (laughs) Don't you think? I say that lovingly. But also realize that as you look around, they are the habitation of the Holy Spirit. They are precious to God in their own peculiar way, as I am. And this also means that you are a habitation for the Holy Spirit. We can't think of ourselves as individuals any longer. We're in this together. A rejected cornerstone has become precious. Scattered Gentile refugees in the first century now belong to and make up the temple of God's spirit. They too are precious. You know, I love God's concern for those on the margins of the church, for those who feel rejected by the world. I can only imagine God's pleasure with a ministry such as Bridge of Hope that we heard about the last two weeks. This reveals the the beauty of the gospel to people that God loves. If you thought about what you can do for Bridge of Hope, I'm sure Caleb would love to discuss this with you. See, there's three weeks now we've talked about Bridge of Hope. (laughs) There might be some people right here or out there online who also wonder if anyone cares about your situation. You may feel lonely, desperate, or even rejected. I would encourage you, please speak with a leader or pastor here about your feelings. This community truly cares. And I'm sure they will tell you just how precious you are to God and to them. Allow me to change the metaphor one more time here, show you the picture of the church. It's like we're on a ship that is launched from a harbor, and now we are joined at the hip on an adventure with Jesus as our chief navigator on the high seas. There's nowhere else to go on that ship, right? (laughs) We're in it together. We are definitely in this together. We are part of the crew, if you will. And just think, we've all sort of chosen this strange crew to be with. Now, let's consider what these concepts might mean for us to live as true Christ-following believers. Theologian and ethicist Stanley Hauerwas connects the gospel and the church. He says this, So the gospel begins with the pledge that if we offer ourselves to a truthful story and the community formed by listening to and enacting that story in the church, we will be transformed into people more significant than we could ever have been on our own. And these are the extraordinary words that Peter is telling us here as well. Peter lays uh, up the reality of these reclusive communities of scattered exiles to cement their identity as living stones in order to become God's dwelling place and for the purpose of declaring the praises of him who called them out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
They were once not a people. They were once part of the host culture. Their former identity had been wrapped up in idols and everything else that their ancient societies offered. They were once not a people, but now they are the people of God. They are living stones formed into God's special temple for God's habitation. They once were misfits on the outside of God's kingdom objectives, but now they are included. They once lived out there on their own, but now they live in connection and communion as the people of God. And this is what it means to be God's people. And this is who we are too. Now, I want you to think about that. Is this how most Christians think about themselves? Is their vision of reality when they, is, is, is this their vision of reality when they say, we are the church? Perhaps we've never realized the valuable, priceless identity by which we are known to our Father in heaven and to Jesus. We are people pulled by a beautiful gospel into a beautiful community to declare a beautiful vision for our surrounding communities. And here's one last theologian. Missiologist Leslie Newbegin explains the responsibility that we as the church are given. In his groundbreaking book, The Gospel in a Pluralist Society, Newbegin rhetorically asks, how is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man on a cross. I'm suggesting that the only answer, the only interpretation of the gospel, is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. Think about that. The beautiful gospel only becomes credible to others when we believe it and live by it when we live as God has invited us to live. When we find freedom from our harsh circumstances, from our past and in our present. When we declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Here's one more thing from Newbegin. Jesus did not write a book, but he formed a community. This community exists in him and for him. He is the center of its life. This community becomes the place where men and women and children find that the gospel gives them the lenses through which they are able to understand and cope with the world. Yeah, so that's really an intense image, isn't it? Not only do we get to realize how much we belong to this place called the church, but now we can understand the purpose of how to live for him in this world. And now, with these new gospel lenses, if you will, we see the world differently too. We don't just read the Bible as if we're spectators watching from the outside. Jesus has brought us in to this community called the church to be fit together as one within God's great big temple. So whenever we hear that word church, we might want to consider something beyond this building or this event that we call worship. 
and even beyond this local collection of believers here and online. We need to identify as a community that finds its life from God's glory revealed in our midst because we live out of wholehearted dependence upon him and one another. Please allow me to read the passage to you again from 1 Peter 2. So listen for our identity, our inclusion, and our intention. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a temple of the Spirit to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be shaken. Now to you who believe... This stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So as we wrap up today, you don't have to totally remove those other ideas about church from your vocabulary or your thinking. Just make sure that you don't forget who we are together, because we are fit together as one. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to share this morning.